Hello and welcome to Player One Bias. I'm Player One. Today I'm playing as Steve, the blocky adventurer. And I'm Player Two, playing as a slightly different Steve who has just a little bit different of a skin. So if you couldn't tell from that intro, today we're going to be talking about Minecraft. So Minecraft is an extraordinarily successful IP. It's topping the list as the best-selling game of all time. And not only is the original game the best-seller on virtually any platform, but there is a staggering amount of merchandise and things like Lego tie-ins and that kind of thing. And I'd argue that certain Minecraft characters, or just the logo itself, have become more iconic than characters of the past like Sonic or Mario or Pokemon. Now, it's not worthy of a podcast just because it's financially successful. Minecraft also had really big impacts on gaming in a number of ways. First of all, it really popularized the idea and acceptance of alpha and beta early releases. So Minecraft is an example of this model working well. We'll talk about maybe why that was the case. It also inspired a whole, a whole many styles of games. So whether it was just based on block-like graphics, things like Cube World and other games of that sort, or more resource gathering and crafting mechanics like Terraria, Factorio, Rust, etc. Or just procedurally generated adventuring worlds, or some combination of all of the above. And it also introduced a whole new generation of gamers to things like modding. Uh, most importantly, Minecraft actively supported the modding community and went as far as to integrate mod managers into the vanilla game and it incorporated some of the mod ideas into official releases of the games and also introduced players to how to set up your own private server how to use LAN or VPN to play with your friends I think you know Minecraft really came in as a brand new idea you know with kind of those procedurally generated resource gathering and block like graphics and threw it all into this combination in such a way that it made it super super attractive as this completely brand new style of game in every aspect which is what made it so exciting uh it wasn't even like it was borrowing aspects from other other games it was so new and so fun um you could just sink hours and hours of time to do it which i know we've done a time or two certainly yeah and i think it came at a good time where we were just starting to get into pc gaming so we went from a console where you buy a game and you play it like as it was out of the box. And then with Minecraft, right, there were so many options and like setting up multiplayer really took some uh, tinkering at the start. And so it was a very good kind of training to all the things you could do with a computer game. Absolutely. So with the gameplay, uh, players start in a randomly generated world uh, and it continues to generate and expand as the player explores to new and different areas. Uh, so the world interaction is block-based, um, so every different material consists of, you know, this same size block uh, for every single piece of everything. And it, it, most materials can be picked up and placed like Lego bricks, although there is, there is a little bit of variation on that with some of the more complicated uh, materials and items. So players can create items, tools, and additional blocks through tiered crafting recipes. Uh, which got way more complicated as the game went on. The world consists of many different biomes and is populated by biome-specific animals uh, and later in the game's development by villagers as well. A large part of the gameplay involves exploring large underground caverns for rare resources like diamonds or redstone or any other you know, metal or materials that you would need. And this definitely brought in you know, some of that adventure aspect that uh, kind of made the game an almost RPG-esque uh, with having to go through and, and fight in quote-unquote dungeon-type scenarios. And they actually, at some point, do add randomly generated dungeons for you to fight, which spawn waves of monsters. Originally, there was no end goal. It was just kind of a, a free world. Um, go out, explore, do your thing, have fun, fight. You really got to choose what you wanted to do. Uh, although a feature called The End was added right at the end of the beta version, 
where players could gear up to fight a great dragon. And I don't, we probably played for two or three years with there never being a goal other than just messing around and you get so hooked into building something or collecting things. There didn't really need to be like a story progression. So more and more RPG elements were added uh, with the adventure update towards the end of the beta, including buffs from potions and magic enhancements, as well as advanced combat maneuvers. Uh, there was also a creative mode, which allowed players to place and destroy blocks however they please without having to gather the resources first. Uh, this also allowed the players flight uh, through the no-clip method, uh, and this mode was often used for building full worlds like replicas of fantasy settings or, you know, anything of that nature. So I think this is probably a good time to talk about kind of how we got into Minecraft and, and what we've done with it. Um, so I know you introduced it to me um, just kind of as the vanilla version, um, hopping in with the survival mode. I think we got in in beta. Yeah, I started playing beta 1.4 or something like that so the game had been out for a year or so at that time and you know we just kind of hopped in and enjoyed the survival mode for a long time just you know uh having to eat food is a combat com component of the survival mode to keep your health and stamina and building you know houses and progressing through like these little tiny hut you dug into the side of a hill to like you built yourself a castle that has a bunch of chests with all of your materials and food and weapons and armor and all that kind of stuff. Um, and then I think we started moving more into the creative mode side of things. We had a friend who started a server um, that we, we all played on. And it was uh, you know massive. Everyone had their own little area where we were building crazy things like a, a gold castle or a, you know, a massive tree house built out of wood and leaves or... You know, things like that, just fun, uh, creative side without having, you know, the restrictions of the normal survival mode. And then we started to get into some of the mods, which I think we'll, we'll address a little bit later. But we played, um, uh, let's see, we played the Pokemon mod. We played. That's one of my favorites for sure. Yeah, it was a really, really good conversion over. It, it, was, it was pretty awesome. Because you could kind of, like one, it was pretty faithful to turn-based Pokemon and, and finding and catching Pokemon, but then you could also build a gym, you know, in this world with a bunch of other players, and you could have trainers set up, and it was kind of a fun mod. Absolutely. I don't think I ever played too much in, uh, you know, the larger online communities where you could hop into a server, you know, with 90 people or whatever. Uh, I think most of it was constricted to local play or... or you know, servers with specific friends. Um, so I didn't really get to experience too much of the, the larger side of Minecraft uh, on the internet. Uh, but the fact that, you know, I, I've probably played that game over the course of eight years pretty consistently uh, kind of speaks to, you know, what they've done with the game and how interesting it can stay, uh, at, you know, for an extremely long period of time. Definitely. So we're going to dive into the background of Minecraft a little bit. It was first created by the Swedish developer Marcus Pearson, Pearson uh, who just mostly is known as Notch uh, and most of his online presence. So Minecraft itself was heavily inspired by games like Dwarf Fortress and Infiniminer. And you can really see uh, visually how Infiniminer inspired Minecraft because it is very similar in terms of Infiniminer will randomly generate caves and the goal is you want to be like the first player to collect the most gold or something like that. And so it'll generate, it's all block structures and you click on blocks to mine them just like Minecraft. So it's almost like the cave generation in Minecraft is like basically a more complex version of Infiniminer. And so this kind of influenced most of the first draft of the game. In fact, Minecraft, uh, the first draft name was just going to be Cave Game. Um, but then you see some of the dwarf influence with some of the more fantasy-themed civilization stuff. So um, Dwarf Fortress has a famously convoluted UI. It's all like text-based graphics, and you have multiple keyboard menus to command any action. And your goal is just to maintain and control all the different aspects of society, like food supply and waste management and defense against monsters and stuff, until eventually like it collapses. And so this kind of inspires the 
more adventure survival aspect of Minecraft where you have to worry about gathering food or hunting for yourself and then keeping your all your items safe from monsters and potentially other players. So I didn't know much about Dwarf Fortress until rather recently, actually. Um, but I think you can definitely, you know, feel some of the aspects being pulled into Minecraft with, you know, those fantasy elements, um, but also just even like the straight blockiness and, and almost even a little bit the interaction with how items and how actions uh, kind of correspond with each other and how they work uh, within the game. Dwarf Fortress does have uh, kind of the multi-tiered crafting list, so you need different workshops and you start with the raw materials like wood and rock and whatever and then you can build up into more complex things uh, very similar to that aspect of minecraft so the very first release of minecraft was on may 17th 2009 on the tig source forums so this version is still available as the classic version and for the longest time people could play in their web browser if you go to the minecraft website there's a free demo and um, I'm not sure if it's still currently the classic game, but at the time I bought it, you could go through and play Minecraft Classic in your browser, and that was kind of how they hooked you into the game. So three updates were released before the official Minecraft Alpha was pushed out on June 28, 2010. And a continuous stream of updates to the Alpha version followed over the next year or so. You'll see this theme continue. Minecraft is always adding new content, whether it's in the form of different biomes and animals or just new crafting options, different kinds of rocks. Um, it's a pretty constant stream over its lifetime. So shortly after that, December 10th, 2010, Notch sets up the video game company Mojang to manage the development of the game. And very quickly after that, uh, 10 days later, it was confirmed that uh, they announced Minecraft beta, and they confirmed that the updates would continue to be free. So anyone who buys into the game, it's this early access model, uh, will have access to all the content as the game develops. And you get to pay less if you buy in early. And this was kind of, um, I, I don't, I don't want to say revolutionary, but this was a new idea. Uh, most of the time, at, at this point, you're still just buying the game, and then that's it. That's all you get. Uh, DLC was starting to be relevant. Uh, which was paid for extra content, um, and and the fact that this was you buy the game and then you could get continuous free updates uh, was pretty big because you weren't having it, it's not like you were having basically a paid subscription uh, because with kind of how they had previously done their updates you knew they were going to be continuous and so you knew you weren't gonna have to pay okay five dollars to get the new desert biome with cactuses and foxes you know you you weren't worried about having to continuously spend money and be stuck in oh maybe this game is going to get boring now because there's not going to be new stuff for me to go mess around with yeah certainly and we've got a whole discussion planned on why it worked well for minecraft but maybe it wasn't bad for the video game industry overall because while this maybe wasn't the first one to do this early access model this was definitely the most widespread at the time and probably a lot of people's first experiences with an early access uh, game sales model. So beta was announced. Uh, they confirmed that the updates were going to continue to be free. And the full version of Minecraft was released almost a year later on November 18th, 2011. Although that wasn't the final iteration of Minecraft since then, there has been a continuous stream of free updates, uh, including one just a few months ago uh, in April 2019. There was a major update called The Village and Pillage, uh, which basically adds extra village villager mechanics for players to interact with. So pretty constant stream of adding things. Now the fundamental gameplay hasn't changed a lot since the full release, but like you mentioned, there's always new stuff to kind of explore and tinker around with. So December 1st, 2011, Jens Bergenstein or Jeb online is taking over full creative control of Minecraft. Notch goes to work on other Mojang products. And shortly after that, the company Mojang brings in the Craft Bucket developers. This is a popular Minecraft server platform, a third party way of managing servers. And they hire in these developers to help improve the vanilla server structure. Then on 2014, Microsoft buys Notch's controlling interest in Mojang. And so now Microsoft is essentially the owner of Minecraft and all of their Mojang properties. 
And this deal was sparked by a tweet from Notch, actually, who just offered to sell his shares. And this was kind of driven by, uh, he was very frustrated. He was getting lots of criticism. Didn't have a lot of interest in the Minecraft project anymore. And oftentimes he had a very controversial online presence. And I think this was just him saying, okay, I'm just going to step back and people will leave me alone. So I, not entirely clear on, you know, Notch's uh, life and everything like that. Um, he was a pretty private person. Um, but there's definitely some sort of social disorder or inhibitance um, where he didn't ever deal with situations very well. Um, so he would tweet things on Twitter that would be rather controversial and then he'd pull it down because someone from the company or, or you know, uh, his lawyers or whatever would tell him to get rid of it. And, and that happened fairly frequently. Um, and this actually kind of correlates with Minecraft itself, really. Um, it's been... People have stated that it has significantly helped uh, improve, whether that be with social interaction um, or just like in general life, people with like Asperger's and autism uh, as a, an outlet that really helped them deal with any sort of situation that they were encountering, encountering in life. Um, and this kind of stems from Notch himself uh, and, and how he created the game and, and the environment that 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 Minecraft puts you in and allows you to interact with. Um, so kind of correlated with why Notch was essentially self put out of Mojang. Um, and and in, in an unfortunate way, uh, because, you know, he did really have this revolutionary idea that changed a lot about video games and was so popular and, and, and widespread. It's, it's almost sort of like, if George Lucas were to tweet non-PC things, like that was the level of scrutiny, I guess, he fell under because he was had risen from like a nobody to creating the most the best selling game of all time on any platform. And then if he would tweet things about, you know, feminism and stuff like that, like he would be torn to shreds. Right. Um, and I don't think he was used to dealing with that no. environment. When just, you get that famous Twitter, isn't something where you just fire off your opinions anymore. You have to be very, very yeah careful about what you say, especially when you're you know the face of a company and a video game that's the most popular like worldwide. So we've mentioned other platforms a few times. While Minecraft did originally start as a Java-based application on PCs. Minecraft is now available on pretty much every platform you could care to think of. So all your game consoles, Xbox, PlayStation, Switch, there's a separate version, or there was, for the 3DS. I think they're all on a unified platform now. You can get on your mobile phones. There's a spe uh, specific Windows 10 edition. I'm not sure why that exists other than... Windows 10 is garbage. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, you can already get on your computer, right? But I guess, you know, now that Microsoft owns it, it's a way... There's probably a good chunk of Microsoft users who only see what's in the Microsoft App Store or whatever, you know? Right. So this is a more streamlined way of getting it to them. So these versions have almost all the same gameplay features, although your world generation controls are typically more limited on non-PC platforms. The multiplayer structure is going to look different, and it's obviously much more difficult to mod the non-PC version. So there's a couple of interesting aspects of Minecraft that we want to dig into a little bit more. One of the gameplay things that was added in an update and really kind of added a whole section of players or a community to Minecraft itself was the addition of Redstone. So this is sort of a parallel for electric power in Minecraft. 
you have sources like torches, which would be a permanent always on signal, or you have switches and levers, which would could be on or off, or they were only on for two seconds or something like that. It was a pulse or a, a toggle of some kind. So redstone dust can be placed to make lines, essentially wires, and carry the signal to other blocks. Um, and maybe some of them are things like pistons, which would actuate, or you could just carry it to other sources and switches. And so that allows you to implement all the logic gates like and, or, nor, etc. And because this signal can be passed through some blocks and not others, this allows you to create physical memory. So you can store bits based on you know how you position glass and other kinds of blocks that pass or don't pass signals. And so people have gone totally hog wild with this and people have made calculators, they've made really rudimentary paint programs where you can draw by flicking switches and pressing buttons. And someone has even gone so far as to make sort of a Minecraft game where you can place blocks in a, in a map and uh, you can really go crazy with this. So I think redstone it is one of the parts that shows just how crazy like the Minecraft community community can get. You know, there are casual players, people who just hop in and play like the survival mode or just like mess around and build like small castles or whatever on, um, you know, the, the creative mode. Uh, but with Redstone, like people just started going crazy. I mean, so this calculator was insanely, insanely complicated. I remember seeing the first video for it and it was, I just, I, I don't know how many hours it took the guy, but just nuts having that. Originally, the redstone wasn't the most uh, like fully fleshed of an idea, so it was fairly complicated to get it all to work, and you needed a lot of space just to be able to run the dust through you know a one by one little block area. And so this calculator was massive and took just crazy amounts of time. And you start to see this in other things, like someone built a you know like quote unquote full scale replica of the Hogwarts castle. Or, you know, things like that. People just... Yeah, in creative sinking. mode, people would go wild. Yeah, sinking. People have made Middle Earth. There's a whole project you can go online, and it's maintained by hundreds of volunteers that go through and recreate all the aspects of, like, Tolkien's Middle Earth. And then sometimes they'd, like, you know, publish it as a full online server that everyone could hop in, and, like, you could, like, roleplay Harry Potter in Hogwarts. Or they would, you know, like, save that game file and take that cache and then upload it online so you could pull that down and then like have your own copy of the Hogwarts castle or Middle Earth or whatever it was uh, and, and then be able to like play and mess with that so uh, the community at early on I think started out pretty simplistic and basic as the game was simplistic and basic as well uh, but as it started to, to move forward, Minecraft was just a sandbox for people to really do whatever they wanted. Um, and and it's, with this game, I mean, it's so easy to just like lose track of time and sink, you know, six, eight hours into it and not even realize you've, you've been doing anything. It's one of those games where you can, oh, you know, I want to build um, this secret base that has a hidden piston that opens the door in the side of a mountain. And then you realize, oh, I need to, you know, dig out. And then, oh, I need to go get these find materials some slimes or, or something. Yeah. And so it just it you lose you lose yourself in this game, which is one of the reasons why it's pretty great. Yeah, I actually, when I first started playing the first three or four months or whatever, I would have a hard time sleeping actually because I would be thinking about what I wanted to do next. So I would like wake up in the middle of the night and I'd been dreaming about how I was going to build whatever. I don't know, something dumb, like the room I was underground farm with a glass roof so I could grow wheat without having monsters like attack or whatever. And it's just, you can really get sucked in if it clicks with that part of your personality. So I guess we'll talk a little bit about whether early release games are good or bad, um, specifically in the case of Minecraft, but then also, you know, for video games as a whole. So Minecraft was developed using the increasingly popular and problematic uh, early access structure. The game was available in alpha and beta versions at a reduced price to support the developer as they continue to roll out more features and bug fixes. So maybe you don't quite have the user base yet, you aren't having a, you know, a large influx of money, 
in order to support everything that you're trying to do for the game. So you reduce the price at you know a, a not quite quote unquote finished game, um, and that way you allow people to get in while you can get funding to start completing the game. And this also allows the people who are there to give you feedback, so that way your complete game um, is a little bit more fleshed out as you have people who are testing it for you essentially. So updates are provided for free to those people who have already purchased copies, uh, even into the release of the full game. Um, and the price of the game increases as more features are released leading up to the final version. So alpha costs less than beta, beta costs less than the full version, uh, and then the full version costs less than if there's DLC, which really wasn't the case for Minecraft. Um, so there, these are all positive features for the early access model. Uh, the negative side in the industry today uh, can kind of be seen through things like developers uh, not delivering on their promises. Um, this may be, you know, maybe we can see this in No Man's Sky um, a little bit. Uh, that's an example. Yeah, there was a lot of hype there that maybe, you know, wasn't ever delivered on. Right. And, you know, No or Man's Sky. Or delivered too late. Supposedly it's better now, but, I, you know. Yeah. No Man's Sky, a procedurally generated, you know, expansive world kind of based off of, you know, that Minecraft original idea, something that people found in Minecraft and wanted in some other area. Uh, games stay in early access for its relevant life. Uh, many games have been on the market for several years without a full release or major update. Um, so this is kind of either developer stagnation or they didn't get enough funding or maybe they kind of did what they set out to do and then just dropped the game and went on to something else. You know, there could be any number of reasons for this. Yeah, I think part of it could be that if it stays in early access, that's always a justification for why things are buggy. Or something like that, and at a certain point, I mean, games like Daisy and other, you know, have been seven or eight years. Uh, Factorio technically is still an alpha, you know, and that game's been out for a long time. And as fun as it is, right? Do, what does a full release mean if it's taken twenty years? Absolutely. Uh, in some cases, developers have to release a sequel to circumvent continuing to provide free content updates to players. Um, so, you know, you release a game. It's successful, and so instead of not making any more money because you've already promised that you're not going to charge for any more updates, you make a new game, which is really the same game, and then you just make more money off of it by charging for it. Yeah, that's a particularly dirty practice, I guess, that will really aggravate a player base. Absolutely. But, I, you know, I mean, the way industry is now, it, it most of the time, not all the time, uh, thankfully, but most of the time, it's it's all about how can you continuously make money and increase profits, and that's a way to do it. So why did the early release uh, schedule work so well for Minecraft? So core gameplay was good at the time of the release, and good enough to support a constant player base. Um, and I think this is definitely true for me, uh, absolutely. You know, I... I could get stuck in survival mode and the original creative mode forever, right? I, we didn't start playing a, a seriously modded version for, you know, probably till after the first two years of playing the original version. Yeah, and I would say there was never a time, from the time when I bought in, if the game development had stopped there, I would have been totally fine. Because I spent most of my time playing really before even the adventure update. So certainly before the final release of the game. So I played in beta and hours and hours and had enough fun doing that. So at the time when I bought it, I felt like the game is good enough as it is. I wasn't expecting anything more to make it fun. Absolutely. And I, I think this also kind of corresponds with like the, the it being on different consoles as well. Because uh, while I was playing it on PC um, for the vast majority of the time, um, and you know, I, I really enjoyed that, uh, was able to have fun with, you know, player one or by myself doing all these different, you know, things that I was doing in adventure or creative mode, survival or creative mode. Um, then once it got released on Xbox and all of my friends who weren't playing on PC, uh, or, you know, didn't play PC games at all, then started to pick it up on Xbox, uh, which kind of only had the original basic survival and creative features. And then I was able to hop back into that and play with them. You know, that was, uh, th that staggered release for consoles almost 
brought back some of the fun that I had while at PC State, it was started to get pretty heavily into the modding community. I was also playing on Xbox at, you know, the original basic. So I think, you know, that, that, that staggering of console release uh, was almost beneficial for them as well. So the next part of this is that the price was right for these alpha and beta releases. And to me, this is heavily impacted by the first point we just talked about. If you think you're getting good value for the price, buying in like isn't so bad. So we talked about being very happy with the way the game was when we bought it. Alpha was 15 bucks, beta was 20 bucks. The full release is up to $30 depending on what platform you play on. So, you know, 20 bucks for a game I put in hundreds of hours was like a good deal. There's a lot of um, early access games now that are like $30 or $40. And so now you're there's more stress on like, man, I really hope this game turns out well. And you start to think about that decision more. Or, or I guess you should. I don't, people don't always do that. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. It, you don't want to be paying, you know, almost the full price of a game for something that you have limited access to now. And then may or may not even be fleshed out into a full game or a game that you even enjoy. Right. Major updates were made regularly, even post the final release. So, like we talked about, there was you know a, a major update a couple months ago. They have continuously improved the game, um, and I think this can kind of be seen through also how they're pulling in uh, factors from the modding community, uh, like having the people at Craft Bucket work on their servers, or um, you know, with, with the redstone, how we were talking earlier, they pulled in uh, different categories that people were modding uh, in, in order to make that system better, uh, be more useful, have more elements associated with it so you could have more creative things to do with it. Um, they definitely did a really good job of communicating with the community. Um, and I think part of that is due to the developers themselves being involved, liking the game, playing the game, and being involved with the community. Yeah, I think this circles back to the point you made when we were talking about why the early release model is good, is you can get so much direct feedback from interested players so the game develops in a way people are interested in. And you definitely see that when it's if they take something that was a mod and now it's like part of the game, or if it's this really popular forum suggestion or, or whatever. Or you see, you know, Redstone is really taking off, so let's refine those mechanics so people have you know less have better ease of use with that mechanic. The first release to final game spanned less than three years, which I think is a very important component because if you're spending, you know, eight, eight years or whatever, uh, in just the alpha version, you definitely, it, it gets stagnant. You don't feel like the game's going anywhere. There may not really be a point for you to continue to play it. You know, any number of reasons that if it doesn't move through the release cycle, uh, the, the player base stagnates, it becomes less enjoyable of a game, uh, and, and people generally stop playing. So that short time uh, kept everyone interested, it kept continuous new things for you to do, uh, and, and allowed you to be like satisfied with the game. And then even after the re uh, final release of the final game, quote-unquote, uh, still adding those updates, still keeping that constant cycle of things for you to do, new discoveries, new creativity, whatever it happened to be. So this, go ahead. So another part of what made it so successful in this case is the fact that the simple game mechanics and the lack of competitive elements meant that balance and really complicated net play programming were not issues. So because you're basically playing Legos, <coughs> excuse me, on a large scale, there is quote less room for there to be really game breaking bugs, and because you're not playing at a very highly competitive level, you don't have to worry about balancing damage types or, you know, are, are your hitboxes good and how much server side lag is there. None of that really matters because it's like a fun, interactive, uh, building, creative game. So that makes things a lot easier on small developers. So to kind of compare it to, uh, you know, a game we've done in the past talking about, you know, League of Legends. Uh, that game, there's always kind of, you know, the constant, oh, this champion's broken right now, their damage is too high, or, like, you just can't kill them, or this matchup is terrible, or, you know, whatever it, whatever it shakes out to be on how they've updated that game. You just don't have to worry about that in Minecraft, because 
it it's designed to be you know a sandbox type game it's not like you're worried about oh am i going to be able to kill that zombie yes you are like it it's it's fairly straightforward uh in the way you handle it and you aren't having to balance out all of these differing or competing elements so they also made no promises of what future content would entail. Uh, future plans were not used to market unfinished versions of the game. So this didn't create any unrealistic expectations on what was coming. Uh, there, there was no you know, overhype of what you were looking forward to or anything like that. Uh, the game was released when it was released, and then it was always new and exciting because you, you didn't have any expectations. With any any release of anything, whether it's a new Star Wars movie or whether you know it's a, a, a new series about a book you liked or whatever. There's always some sort of um, expectation that, that can affect how you perceive the final product. Uh, and they didn't do this in my, in, with the Minecraft release, so you didn't have to worry about that. Yeah, I think this is particularly important when it comes to making a decision to buy into an early access game. So you don't, you can't get lured in by promises of future features that you hope come, you're making a decision based on what the game looks like right now. And particularly when it's a game aimed at a really wide audience, like even really young kids, I think that's pretty helpful because um, not all people are good at basically evaluating risk and seeing if they think the game will be completed and if it's worth paying money now or if you should wait. And I think, you know, just to give a pretty modern example, a game like Pokemon Go, where a lot of people, because it's a Pokemon game, had this expectation that very, very soon you would be able to battle your friends and, and trade with your friends and that kind of thing. And those features were either a long time coming or, or still, you know, aren't included in the game. And that led to a lot of people being kind of frustrated with it. And that's not an early access game, but it's kind of a similar idea where people thought it was going to be different than maybe what was going to be delivered. And I, you know, talking about how this has affected the video game industry um, kind of as a whole and how, how it deals with consumers, um, we've seen this concept being used a lot. We've mentioned No Man's Sky. Um, in a previous episode, we mentioned Star Citizen. So it, it's had a seemingly positive impact um, because all of these awesome games that people um, are really interested in, uh, and, you know, with Star Citizen, uh, being the biggest crowdfunded game of all time, um, you, you have these players once that have obviously coalesced into a large group that everyone wants this style of game, or, you know, a very large number of people do, and then so you're able to put your money into it, and then you're hopefully able to experience it. But then, like we've also talked about, you deal with the aspect of, okay, this is what they've said the game was going to be. And then throughout the long period of funding and development, maybe that's not what you're actually going to be seeing in the game. Um, so I definitely think there's a balance of um, kind of how we've talked about with Minecraft, not promising everything while giving a solid concrete example um, and, and that's kind of contradictory uh, to how funding and development kind of go because in order to get good funding you have to make certain promises and then you may not be able to necessarily keep those so it, it, I think it creates a dichotomy of, of trying to keep people's interest and trying to gather the funding and support you need for you know these incredibly popular early release games but then being able to actually deliver on that as well. Yeah, I think it's a it's an interesting balance. And I think in this case, it's sort of ruined by lack of consumer knowledge, which I like to say ruins a lot of industries. <laughs> um, but basically, the way I see it is that the early access model lets small independent developers help fund their idea. And that is a positive thing, because a lot of the most innovative games of the last 10 or 20 years have been essentially independent developers. I mean, the whole MOBA genre, anything remotely related to Minecrafty type stuff, even the games that inspired Minecraft, like Dwarf Fortress, were all these independent releases. And so the fact that those were able to be made outside of a conventional AAA structure is a positive. But you have more predatory 
examples of early access games. And unfortunately, there's a lot of people who can't evaluate those correctly and they can't look at, okay, in Minecraft, right, it was, I like the game as is, so I'm comfortable buying in if I get nothing else. Whereas then you see the opposite of where it's like, hey, it doesn't really work right now, but we're going to add this. So you should buy in now and then, you know, people get trapped. And I hope it doesn't circle all the way back around where people just don't buy early access games. Because to me, it sort of parallels the discussion about when authors don't finish their book series, like George R. R. Martin, you know, hasn't written the end to uh, Game of Thrones or Patrick Rothfuss hasn't written the end to... Um, what's the series, uh, King Killer Chronicles. And so there are books that people really enjoyed, but the artists have obviously lost steam on finishing the project. And so some people are like, man, I'm not you know, ever gonna read a series that isn't already finished because I don't wanna get burned again. But then that hurts you know, authors who are trying to make a break. It's, it's a way bigger task to expect them to write a complete trilogy before they make any money off their product. So it's this, it's this weird balance. And I think really the key is just as a consumer to try to be informed and, you know, make good decisions with your money. So uh, we'll move on to modding uh, with Minecraft, kind of address the more vanilla side of the game and how they've they've brought that in. Um, with, with modding, I, I guess my first experience with it, uh, I think was the Pokemon mod, uh, which you introduced me to, uh, brought in the Minecraft world, uh, kept pretty much as is, while adding a bunch of the normal Pokemon elements you see to it. Um, so instead of you know seeing zombies or skeleton archers or creepers or whatever running around, there was a Charizard you know, flying around the top of that mountain, or there was an Eevee running you know, around the trees near your house or whatever, what, whatever you know, example you, you see with that. Uh, there were apricorn trees growing as well as normal trees um, for you to harvest and you know, use that for helping your Pokemon. Um, and like you said earlier, I think it really brought in um, that fun adventure aspect of Pokemon uh, and kind of added another outlet for you to be able to be more creative with the typical Pokemon genre. And so from the beginning, Minecraft attracted a huge range, a huge modding community. So mods began from the alpha version of the game, and they could be anywhere from just very simple texture art replacement so ways to make the game look and have a different feel. And there's some very unique texture packs out there uh, to going all the way to really drastically altering the gameplay like this Pokemon mod we've been talking about. There's also mods that add automation and machinery. So like mining oil and converting that and having processes set up. There's things that help you with large scale building. So we've actually used some of these as well for like a really large scale project where you can basically draw lines by clicking different endpoints, or you can copy paste whole chunks of a building if you have repeating rooms or something like that. And modding was very much supported by Mojang from the start. So the vanilla game client started to add features for you to track modded versions of the game. So you could maintain, uh, up to this point basically, if you had a modded version and then you wanted to play the regular version with your friends, or you had two different mods you would play, you would basically drag and drop your executable file into a folder or you would maintain backups yourself. And pretty quickly, Mojang adds just in-game client support for swapping out what mods you wanna play and then if you just wanna play vanilla or something like that. Yeah, I remember working uh, you know, with some of the texture packs and everything, uh, you know, kinda of like we mentioned earlier, it, it's a sandbox, right? So literally anything you really want to do in Minecraft, you can. It just happens to be in a block world. So, you know, there were steampunk texture packs, so that made everything this, you know, weird steampunk world. There was a texture pack that made grass and leaves look like actual grass and leaves. So you could run it, you know, on a crazy graphics processor and make the graphics, you know, legendary. There would be, like, reflections on water and, you know, whatever. You could make it look like Skyrim if you wanted to. So it really, really expanded and allowed the player to play the game however they wanted. It was extremely personable and customizable, which in the PC market uh, is a pretty big draw for a lot of games. Being able to you know put yourself in the game and play it how you want it is um, a huge factor that draws a lot of people to a lot of different games. 
So this, uh, in addition to adding this vanilla client mod tracker, uh, they also developed a mod API specifically to make modding the game more developer friendly. And they also added a mod marketplace in 2017. So this lets people actually sell their mods rather than set up some kind of like donation thing or like have a Patreon or whatever. There's actually a in Minecraft storefront, sort of like the Steam storefront, I guess, where you can sell the mods you've worked on. Mods also add a lot of replayability to the game. So I think this is a big part and why the game has been so successful is if you get bored of doing survival, you can decide you're going to make Minas Tirith in, you know, Minecraft, or you want to play as Harry Potter in Hogwarts, or you want to play Pokemon, right? You like, there's just the, you can play first person shooters. There's all these weird combat mods. You can do whatever you want in the context of Minecraft. It keeps it really fresh. You know, you can hop over from, uh, you know, you and I would have a survival server going where we'd, you know, be working on this stuff. And then if we got tired of that, we would go hop over to a creative server and just like mess around building random junk with our friends. Or then we could go play Pokemon. And then, you know, after playing that for a little bit, we could be refreshed on our survival server and go back and keep working on that. Um, it, it allowed you to really play almost multiple different games within the same interface. Uh, and then switch between them. So instead of, oh, I got bored playing Call of Duty today, so I went, you know, and played Assassin's Creed. Now it's, oh, I went and played Pokemon in Minecraft, and now I went to my survival server in Minecraft. Before all this process became streamlined, setting up these mods and setting up servers to play with your friends actually took a little bit of computer knowledge. Really, it's, it's definitely within the realms of anyone's capability. But for me, in particular, when I was just getting started with PC gaming, that was a very instructive learning process and a good way of improving computer skills. And I think particularly because this game was picked up by a lot of younger kids as well, that it was a very good introduction to uh, you know, how to set up computer games and how to make changes and just you know, learning good computer skills. Right, yeah, like I, I learned what an IP address was you know, in 2010. And how to port forward. And how to port forward from, you know, our old router, you know, from, from because we were trying to set up servers to play with our friends, you know. I had to Google and, and learn from you and learn all of this stuff. Uh, and, and, yeah, it, like you said, it really brought, you know, an introduction to uh, what may be normal computer stuff uh, that you normally don't have to interact with because everything's plug and play or someone else does it for you. Uh, makes you learn kind of what you're doing um, and, and those aspects that maybe you don't normally have to experience on a consistent basis. So with the public perception, um, at a certain point in its history, Minecraft started to gather a reputation as a kid's game. Uh, and this can definitely be seen with, you know, who the merchandise is marketed towards, um, how older people associate the game, uh, not necessarily as, you know, 20 year old dudes modding it and playing it in college or whatever, uh, but as a, a younger person's games. And, and I think this definitely expanded when it was brought onto consoles, um, as that made it more readily available to the younger generations. Um, and so that's, I think, kind of a turning point as when it started to be associated uh, with, with kids. Um, so this was partly due to the accessibility, right? Uh, being played on any platform, so moving to those consoles. Or uh, just, you know, mom's smartphone. Or I guess, you know, the kid's smartphone, because it's 2019. But. Absolutely. It is by nature very kid-friendly, um, partly driven driven by Notch. Uh, everything that he did was, you know, very controlled environment. Uh, uh, no, no gore, no drugs, um, or mature themes, you know, while there were you know, zombies or whatever, it was a little blocky thing that you smacked with a sword and there was no blood. They were like cute zombies. They would blink red, right, when they got hit and it was, uh, you know. Yeah. Uh, most merchandise was aimed at younger children, like we mentioned. Um, and this this definitely kind of sort of parallels uh, current phenomenon uh, with Fortnite. Um, although, you know, me and my friends in college played it a ton, it is definitely seen as a kid's game. And I think, you know, again, most of those people are playing it on their mobile phones and all the, there's a, a ridiculous amount of, I didn't realize there's Fortnite merchandise, but I guess it makes sense, right? I went to Walmart and saw all these stuffed animals and t-shirts and people learn the dances and... Yeah, that's, Fortnite has done, I think, a really good job of 
incorporating popular culture, uh, which you kind of see reflected in uh, all the modding with Minecraft, tossing in, you know, Pokemon and some of those more popular mods that bring in some of the larger parts of popular culture that people enjoy. Harry Potter, building, you know, Middle Earth, whatever, whatever situation applied to uh, each individual. And I think, you know, in addition to being really accessible, the younger video game audience is more easily influenced by what's most popular because you don't maybe know the best places to look for, I don't know, game recommendations, or you just don't have a lot of experience to figure out exactly what kind of game you're interested in. If everyone's got on their phone and playing it, you're way more likely to interact, see that, and think that looks neat than something more niche, like a dwarf fortress or whatever. So, you know, you just tends to gain traction in younger age groups faster because, you know. In fact, that's how I found it about Minecraft, really. It's like a YouTube recommended video on the side. I was watching, you know, some, it was probably a StarCraft video or something, and then there's a Minecraft video, and I was like, oh, what's this? So that kind of marketing just works better on people at a younger age. Yeah, I can't say when I was a kid I was doing research to figure out, oh, is this a game I would actually enjoy? You know, what are the reviews? How how long is the gameplay? Is it going to be worth my time? Or am I going to be, you know, just walling around for 120 hours and not finishing the game? You know, I, I wasn't doing that kind of research as a kid. It was, oh, uh, you know, my friend... Or this this other guy I know has this video game. It looks cool. I want it. Right. So yeah, definitely that that snowball effect of oh, you know, there's this this really popular guy doing it on the internet. So you know, maybe YouTube with Minecraft or Twitch with Fortnite, and it has high visibility, and then it plops down to kids pretty easily. So this is actually something I've never even thought about before. Do you think there is or ever was like a Minecraft streaming? scene do you know if that exists that's a good question i i don't know i'm, I'm not sure, even sure what you would do i'm sure it's on twitch I, you know everything's on twitch right yeah but um i i know there were you know just stupid amounts of youtube videos oh for sure yeah that but, was a big part of like youtube for a long time was minecraft various minecraft tutorials and let's plays and right yeah absolutely how, how to use redstone how to build this cool awesome mega hidden door I found, right. how to build this simple calculator, or yeah, whatever whatever it was. Uh, definitely, definitely huge presence on YouTube. But I can't say, I never... I guess, I'm, yeah, I'm curious what it would look like. I, don't, I mean, you can stream anything, right? Some people just stream themselves talking or, like, going to the grocery store. Right. But I wonder if, you know, Minecraft was before the really big Twitch boom. Uh, and so... I definitely got into Twitch late, so I can't say... Uh, I mean, I, I, I still was only to... watch basically tournaments right. on Twitch. Right. I, I can't say I follow any particular streamer or anything. Right. It's uh, not my interest. Yeah, but... I can't say I was on the Minecraft train then. Yeah. You know, so I don't know. That's, that's, a, that's a very good question. Well, I think this wraps up our episode on Minecraft. I uh, really appreciate you guys listening to us in. Please check us out on Facebook and Twitter at player... Player one bias, uh, and that is the number one. And of course, we'd love to hear your feedback. So let us know what you thought of this episode. Have you had any experience with Minecraft? You know, what's your favorite or, or least favorite experience? And let us know topics you'd like to hear us do in the future.